We are born free. And we will die free. The time in between, though, that's complicated. In that time, governments, institutions, and our egos will limit our ability to find true freedom in this life. These are real stories of real people overcoming the odds, persevering in justice, and unlocking their potential. Welcome to Finding Freedom. Here's your host, John Oderman. Okay, my guest today on Finding Freedom is Joy Watson. Joy was convicted uh, for possessing marijuana and money laundering. She was sentenced to 18 years in prison. And as you know from previous guests, um, this happens, these long sentences happen, is because she took it to trial. Obviously, they're they uh, throw these charges out there, then they want a plea deal. And if you don't do that, then they come after you. And we will talk about that with Joy today. Joy ended up serving 12 years. She was released on December 23rd, 2019. Joy, welcome to Find Your Freedom. Thank you for having me. Well, thank you for coming on the show. And wanted to start out as I do with uh, with most of my guests who have a you know have a, a history or who have been formerly incarcerated I'd like to give my audience you know to, to an opportunity to learn about you learn about your background where you came from and really uh, what your life was like before you know getting arrested before going to prison so if you can kind of you know, give some background information on yourself. Okay. Um, I come from a Caribbean family and my parents are both Jamaican. That's why the accent. I was The first language I learned to speak was Jamaican. So this is never going anywhere. Um, it's a nice accent. Went to school, did what we were. Yes, that's what they explained the accent. Um, did what we were supposed to do before getting incarcerated. I used to be an event planner in California. I used to show... Um, those shows, concerts, plan events for other people, rent um, places, put a show or a party together. And that was my life before I met this man, fell in love, started dating, then we got married. But he was living a life doing other stuff, which you understand what I'm saying. Mm -hmm. And... uh, for five years, it was good. It, for about three and a half years, it was good. Then it got to be very volatile, where he was starting to put his hands on me, being abusive, and it was tremendous. It was just a whole must. And then one day, um, we're at the house, and well, I heard, "Don't move! Don't move!" Da, 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 da. I was in Arizona at the time, and. The door was kicked in and everything. And all the alphabet boys were there. And I was like looking because I'm like, this got to be a movie or something because what are they doing here? Mm-hmm. Come to find out that my husband was dealing with an informant. He got caught with 460 pounds. So he tried to involve my husband and me. Well, that's how I got attached to it try to say to my husband if he knows anyone that he can buy 800 pounds from. So my husband told him he might know someone he can link mm. him with. 
And therefore, and that's how the conspiracy came about. They didn't get 800 pounds. They didn't get no money. They didn't get any of that. All it was that the conversation took place. It was recorded. And it, my husband showed him a, a sample of like two pounds. And it came to a big conspiracy for 850 pounds a week. Let me just make sure I'm, I'm getting this getting this right. And so my audience understands this. Yeah. So your your husband was dealing with an informant, which I mean, this is it's common. This is what happens in, in cases like this. And the informant right. comes and says, I want 800 pounds. Your husband says, yes, I can do it. Or yes, I can arrange it. Never. It doesn't happen though. Never comes to fruition. Just shows. No, it's never had a chance yeah. to happen. Nope. Yeah. So, yeah. so the, the so the raid the raid happened. How, how soon after after? Yeah, that because they said they had cause to come with a warrant. Hmm. Search a search. When they came there, though, at the time, I didn't know that in our attic, my husband did have like about fifty pounds up there. But that's all they got in the raid, and. They never got 850 pounds. Nothing was sold like I said to you, here, John, mm-hmm. here's the weed. You give me the money. That never took place. But just because they put it as a conspiracy because of the planning and of my husband saying, oh, yeah, I know somebody I can hook you. Uh, and then they said I was the boss because they wanted my business that I had my event planning business and they wanted money. They try to say, Oh, the money was being laundered through my business. Wow. Which was another crap. They couldn't prove. They said that so they so, said the money, the I money was know. being laundered through your business for a transaction. Yes, that never, they that never occurred. That never occurred. They did not prove because even when we were in trial and the judge asked them, so where is the, Proof that the money that this was sell and this pound went, this amount of money went to this. How? Where's that? So she had that thrown out because there was no proof for that. So um, we were all taken to CCA that night, to, um, not knowing that some other friends that I had that visited the house, we had a little party there the weekend before. They had pictures of them followed them home and took them in too, saying they're a part of, they're all working for me and my husband. I'm the boss. My husband is a lieutenant. And these people were my workers and got all these, a lot of them got got out, but a couple had warrants on their own. But the point still remaining, there was no business done where they can say, oh yes, we she sold this amount. He sold this amount. None of that took place. It it was all based on conspiracy to do the deed. That did and not it, get done. It, it, most people, you know, most people out there who aren't familiar with conspiracy law, they would hear something like this and say, <clears throat> "How is it possible for you know a a uh, you know a drug crime where?" The drugs weren't there. There was no transaction. How is it possible to get sentenced to 18 years in prison? Well, the thing that I learned the hard way about conspiracy that you never win. It's a 99.9% when the feds, that's why they do a lot of conspiracy charges. Because if they were to charge us on the 
the actual say, all right, this is a charge. This is what you're charged. Individual, they would not have a case. Would a lot? They'd have to let us go and dismiss it. But putting it as a conspiracy involving all these people makes the case like it's this big thing, and they usually win and get away because the judges, prosecutor, they're all in on it. This is mm -hmm. the way they get you to be locked up. So some people are so threatened and scared that they end up taking a plea deal and say, okay, even though they didn't do anything, but because the way it's put together, it's hard for you to prove that you didn't do it. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? So I took it to trial because I'm like, no, I'm not. I didn't do anything. I didn't sell anybody anything. Where's the proof? And I learned the hard way that when the government plans for you and put stories together, people that don't know you, because I had a jury trial, they believed it because they're saying they're showing the nice cars that I had. They're showing the parties that I kept, the clothes that I wore. And all this, so they're thinking, oh, yes, this African-American woman could be doing all this and not selling drugs. So, yes, it's believable. And the way they painted the picture in court, I paid a lawyer 65000 to get me 18 years. And all he wanted to do was plea. Take the plea. It's a good deal. Take the plea. You, what, you'll what be was, out and um, you can get nine years. That was the, that was the plea deal, nine years? 10 years first, then they drop it to nine. Huh. And I said, no, I didn't do anything. Well, and I'm not young to go away to come back in nine years. No, what am I going to prison for? And he, he lied to me. That's another thing. Some of these paid lawyers are all in it because they all belong to the same bar. So they're all friends and they're there to help set you up. He had me had a conversation, a free talk with the district attorney telling me if I did this, I wouldn't get no more than five years as an agreement. I wouldn't do no more than three. And I was already locked up like a year and a half. So I would only be locked up like a year and a half. After the, the stress, everything that I went through, I was willing to take that. So I sat down with the DA and explained like this, this, this. And I told her I used to be a bank manager. And yes, I do my business where I put my money in. Sometimes I don't do file everything on the taxes correctly, but that's not the worst. If you know, I, I didn't owe a lot of taxes. And that mm -hmm. lady took that story and spinned it that yes, they try to get me on tax fraud, but that got thrown out too. So she spinned it and everything that I told her. She used, they used at my trial against me. Wow. So, so they told, so I, did, I told them like, yes. I, yeah, go ahead. I'm sorry. So did your husband also uh, take it to trial? Hey, we're going to take a real quick minute here. I want to tell you guys about a really cool service. It's for expats. It's for location independent and international entrepreneurs seeking financial freedom. It's really for anybody concerned about their privacy, which honestly, in today's world, it should be everybody. Now, if you remember back on episode 308, uh, titled Living Virtually in South Dakota with Dallas, the Privacy Postmaster, 
story that episode, Dallas told us about um, his service called privacypost.io. Now, what is privacypost.io? It is a privacy by default virtual mail and business center. Now, the services that are included are virtual mail, a professional business address, privacy trust services, company formation, Portugal D7 residency, and virtual domicile in the privacy respecting an income tax-free state of South Dakota. Now, privacypost.io protects you from third parties, overreaching government agencies, and complicit cloud platforms invading your private personal and business information. Privacy is freedom of association, expression, commerce, and mobility. Privacypost.io is your partner in freedom. Go to privacypost.io for more information and make sure to tell them that you heard about them on Finding Freedom. No, he got scared because he had younger kids and he took the plea for nine years. So he got out. Well, he's no longer my husband anyway, but he got out after seven and a half years. And he, he was deported back did, to Jamaica. Did he testify at your trial? No, he didn't really testify, but he gave them a statement, a mm. false statement against me because he wanted less time for himself. So, yes, he did that. Mm. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah. Still can't, can't believe it up to today. I can't imagine going through that. So t- no, take us, take us. I mean, explain the the emotions and you know what it was like that you're you're on trial for you know a crime that you know you didn't commit. Um, you, you're having to watch your your husband get, give a statement against you. They don't have evidence of you doing anything wrong, and you know you've done nothing wrong. And then you get convicted. And one of my friends that came to the house to that they locked up, he told them, yes, he worked for me. But the work that he did was um, construction work, like putting up places together. Like if they, he, they got him so scared and told him he would be deported if he did not say that. It was a nightmare. The first night I fell off the bed. Cause I came, I'm coming from a California King. I like, I move around in a bit. So small mm-hmm. beds, I always say when I got some money, I'm going to buy me a big, nice bed. And so when I left the streets and went to CCA, they put me on a top bunk and I fell off and sprained my ankle that first night. So I ended up being on the bottom bunk. I cried. I cried for like three weeks straight. I wanted to die. I wanted to kill myself because I said, maybe if I do that, I'll wake up and this is just a dream. Because there's no way. Because when we went in front to get a bond out, they said, no, I was a flight risk because I traveled so Because I used to travel to Europe where my family's at, England, Jamaica. I've been to France. I've been to quite a few places. And so they said I was a flight risk, that I would run off and not come back which was stupid so they confiscate my passport but they still did, would not give me a bond or anything so that alone was terrifying because I've never been locked up never did a day in jail so just coming from the street living a certain life and bam wake up in a dirty place full of all kinds of germs all kinds of type of people 
the one lady next door uh, was in my cell. She was coming down off of heroin mm. and was crying all night. It, it was like it was too much because I couldn't help her and they didn't do nothing to help her. They just told her she just got to go cold turkey. So she cried, screamed out everything. So I, I had to put up with that and I asked them the next time, could I be moved? Because it was too much torture on me. And I was stressing out to the point where, as I said, even contemplating, I have high blood pressure and I was contemplating taking all my pills and never wake up. Because there's no way I could have thought that this could happen to me. No way. No one could have told me that I would be caught up into something like that. So after there, you know, learning the ways of the place, trying to survive, not to get into anything with anyone, because that's another thing. There's different groups up there that who's not in their own little thing. Like you, the new person, they think they can bully you or get you to spend money on them. And it, it, it's a whole lot of different stuff. Then you got to figure out the ones that has different sicknesses that you can catch because you're not allowed to know this and you're all put together. It, mm -hmm. They do not separate because they're not, they don't want it to look like they're being discriminated, but then they're putting you at risk. You could be in a room with someone that got is HIV positive using the same toilets. We have our menstrual cycle. You know, we are locked down together. We use the same sink. You brush your teeth, you spit in it. It, it, it. I never knew none of this till after someone hit me and said, you know, you need to be careful because some of these ladies have TB, some has this, mm -hmm. some has that, and they're not allowed to tell you. They just wow. bunk you all together because of space. They don't care. You have to survive on your own and learn your way. Anyway, while I was um, there for a year and a half, almost two years, I kept fighting. Every time they came with a deal, I told my lawyer, I didn't ask for a deal. I would have not let my family put up all this money, what they could have paid, saved for me, uh, for you to get me a deal. If I wanted a deal, I, I could have got a public defender. So he started doing shitty jobs, told me I didn't need an investigator, told me a whole... They so criminalizing and wicked, the DEA agent went and found rappings at some other location and planted it into a dumpster and took pictures of it saying they found these marijuana wrappings in our dumpster. And had, so I told him, I said, get a private investigation so they could do fingerprints and all of that. We, they would not find any fingerprints of us because those are not ours. We never mm -hmm. did that. My husband was doing his thing, but he took them and dumped them. When I wasn't around, when I was out of town doing my other business, he's there. That's what he never. So I told him, I said, get a lawyer. I mean, just, a private yeah, just, just so I'm clear on what, on what the DEA agent, DEA agent did, he found rolling paper. You're saying like rolling papers or? No, no. Plastic wrap that you wrap bales, that when you wrap bales of marijuana together. Oh, okay. From okay. one of his right. other cases Got and you. brought it to us and put it in our dumpster, took pictures and say, these are evidence that they found wrapping 
paper that we were wrapping marijuana in this house, which was a lie. Because mm-hmm. And I told my lawyer, I said, please get a private investigator to do and please let them do fingerprints on it and everything. He said we didn't need any. And he told me that, oh, he was going to get all that done. Well, we went to trial because he wasn't prepared. He didn't have nothing. My lawyer fell asleep behind the, the, the during trial. Okay? He was so unprepared, and he was mad at me up till on a Saturday. He was calling me at CCA, telling me that the district attorney was giving me one last offer to take the plea, and that was nine years. And I said, no. And then in this plea, they want me to give up $2 million. Then I'm supposed to give up some people that I know that sells marijuana or do certain things illegal. I'm supposed to give the... So I said, where am I supposed to find them at? Oh, you know people. You can find people. Just give, it, just give them... Give us um, their name and stuff, and we'll take it from there. And I had to sign... That was part of the plea agreement. And if I did not sign the whole... Take all of that, I, still, I would not get nine years. So I refused it. And I said, I'll go to trial. Yeah. The week when we were supposed to go to trial... There was a big thing with the guards and the guys in the CCA. So we were on 24-hour lockdown for three weeks. Couldn't come out barely to get any showers. We had to shower in our sinks. They wake us up at 2 in the morning. Court is at 9 o'clock. They wake us up at 2 in the morning, take us downstairs, and have us sit on the cold ground for four hours till they can give us whatever breakfast, they bangle us up, shackle us up, and put us on the bus. We have to, if there's 250 guys, we have to wait till all these guys board first, and we're just, say, 10 or 15 women. Then we go on last. So lack of sleeping. Well, we go to court now. All the people have to go to court. We have to sit in those cells till we are up. I change out into my clothes because my mom bought clothes to me so I don't look like a total bum. By the time I'm sitting at the thing, I was even falling asleep because I was so tired and I didn't get any sleep. Mm-hmm. We end up staying at the courthouse till like six, seven at night because they have to wait till everybody and everything is done. Then they take us back. By the time we get back, the food is cold. We get sack lunches. We get sack lunches all day. Then you barely have. 10 minutes to shower. You can't even have time. Is either you choose to shower or take make a phone call to your family to let them know you're okay. Or you take a shower. And by the time we get in, as again, we're waking up at 2 o'clock at night. So that went on for three weeks. My trial was three and a half weeks. And I went through that thing for three weeks of trial torture. was three and a half weeks. Wow. Yes, why, it why, was. Why, why was it so yes, long? Because all these evidence that they claim and all these back and forth and picking the jury, then all the evidence, a lot of stuff got thrown out because the DA, they tried to put in all these nonsense lies. And the judge saw a lot of it like, but how can you say this, this, this? Where is the proof? Three of the guys that they caught try to say they work for me when I never even met them. Wow. They were on another case. 
and they brought them in to say, yes, they know me and I'm a known drug dealer. The judge got them fined and uh, gave them um, time in prison jail for lying on the stack. Three really? of them. Really? Yes. Wow. Yeah, I have all my transcript and my court transcript. How how did everything? Uh, how did the judge? How how did it come to be known that that they were lying? What what happened? That because when um, I told my lawyer to ask them certain question also, mm-hmm. and when he finally got up and asked, so where do you met her at? Where you know what's her name? They didn't know my name. Never seen me. The only time they saw me was in they, the DEA and district attorney. They showed him a picture of me to say, that's me. So when they understand it, certain, they were cross-examined. They were also caught in their lies. And the judge said, no, that does not add up. It doesn't make sense. That does not. So where did the judge even ask them questions? And the judge was like, no, this, uh-uh. this is not a, um, a witness that's, that's telling the truth. No. And stop it right there. Three of them. Yes. That's that's the yeah. first time. I've One of them with, was with a the Spanish. Yeah. yeah. That's. Yes. That that's the only thing I could say. Susan Bolton. That she's nothing nice, but yeah. she was fair with the, with that right there. She was fair, and and the prosecutor wanted to give me thirty five years because I made them go to trial. So she told them, she said, oh, so you want me to give her husband nine years and give her 35 years for what? He's the one that you you guys have on recording with the informant. You don't have nothing with her. Why would I do that? Mm-hmm. That's the only good thing I could say that she said. She said, no, she's not getting 35 years. Not when I give her husband nine years. No. But your honor, we had to do all this and we had to put this case in trial and she wouldn't take the plea. And the judge said, that's her right. It's still at the end of the day. It's still her right to go to trial if she choose to. And yeah, so- sounds like a, a halfway, after, um, decent, halfway decent judge. I mean, the bar, the, the bar is yes. pretty, uh, not very high for, to, to, to be, because there's no, so many terrible judges not. out there. And I was but, surprised. Yeah. But, I think she had a little empathy with me because I also let them know that my husband did this to my eye. He almost killed me and he was very mm-hmm. abusive and controlling and he was doing his own thing. And I didn't know, didn't have no. So I think she had a little bit of empathy that I was an abusive woman. I was abused by this abusive man. And I'm sitting here and I took it to trial because I'm like, no way. This is bullshit. Excuse my life, this this doesn't make sense. So I think that's the only little thing, but she still turned around and sentenced me on my birthday. And when I said, Your Honor, you're going to sentence me on my birthday? Because it was supposed to be put off. And she said, She's not putting it off. And she said, Well, the only thing I can do for you, I'm not going to give you 35 years like the prosecutor wants me to. I give you 18 years. I said, what? I said, I'm going to die in prison. She said, well, I don't know what to tell you, but happy mm. birthday. And then hit her gravel. And I fell down. They had me on suicide watch for like two weeks because they thought I was going to take my life. 
So when I got back, when I was going back, they had me um, seg you know, put separately. And then um, I was watched in a jacket, like a turtle, heavy thing. Couldn't wear no clothing. It was so disrespectful. I'm, I'm even going to tell you one of the worst things happened to me that, that day. If I had something to take my life, I would. I was on my cycle. And they make us take a, take a, we cannot wear tampons to court. And the pads that they give you are cheap and cannot do anything for you. Mm-hmm. And I had to, and my period was so heavy because I was stressing and everything that I messed myself up. And I did not have anything to put on. And they wanted me to wear the same bloody mess of pants with a bunch of 200 men on the, the bus. And I refused. I said, I'm not going. Do anything you want to do. Find me something else to put on because it's degrading enough to know that I messed up. And I can't clean myself up till I get back to CCA. But I will not get on that bus looking like this with all those men. That is not, I'm not doing it. And it took them like an hour to go find me a pair of men pants to put on over my red um, uniform before I could get on the bus. Hmm. And I cried all the way there because I'm like, I'm a human being. I'm still a human being. I'm not. I'm not an animal. I'm still a human being. And that day, I felt like I was nothing. You know. That's absolutely. And terrible. then I was like, "Why should I live?" Yeah, I said, "Why should I live?" They're treating me like this, and I gotta go do 18 years. I'm never gonna make it. So why why do it? Yeah. That, you know. There was days when we travel on the plane to, to get to our name. The way they treat us, we're cold, no jackets. They're covered up. The, the marshals are all covered up warm. And we're in the freezing cold with the rain beating us. We A lot of us got sick. They did not care. They transport us like cattle. We're at, we're chained up, we're chained to each other. And I'm like, this is what slavery felt like. This is what it, it felt like. And I'm, and I'm saying we're in this modern time in the 2000s and we're still treating, treated like we're slave, like animals, no care. We gotta go to the bathroom on the plane. One hand is on shackle. So you got to pull your pants down, pee or don't let you be on your cycle. It's a wrap. And to wipe yourself and try to pull your pants back up properly with a bunch of men outside the door. Because you can't close the door. It has to stay cracked so the marshal can watch looking at you. So the guys, if they're peeping and trying to look, it's, that's also another thing you have to uh, avoid because they're thirsty, they're locked up going through their own, and they don't see women. So when that's the only time when we're transported, that's when they get to see us. Mm-hmm. So we're not allowed to talk to them or anything, but 
They, they, oh God, they say what they have to say. They make derogatory comments because they put them all at the back and put us at the front. And I'm like, what's the sense? But I'm finding out it's easier for them to manage them at the back and we're not trouble. So it's easy for us to sit in the front. Hmm. But there were some days that I asked some of the marshals and some of the people, I said, are we still a um, human being in your eyes or are we just a number? One told me we're just paychecks. Wow. I want to tell you guys about I Trust Capital. It's the number one crypto IRA platform in the United States. Um, you can self-trade cryptocurrency, physical gold and silver right in your retirement account. Now you get the, the tax advantages of a traditional IRA. You get them while trading crypto and physical gold and silver. Um, as an iTrust client, um, you're going to be able to log into your account and self-trade 24-7. Transactions are executed in real time and settle in seconds. They offer more than 25 crypto assets and they're growing. Um, they have transparent pricing. They have the lowest and most transparent costs in the industry by far. And they post the freeze right up front so you can see them. iTrust is secure. They use Coinbase custody and Curve to secure uh, your assets iTrust also has over 1,500 overwhelmingly positive reviews on Trustpilot. Now, here's the kicker, guys. Special offer here. All you got to do is visit itrust.capital slash lions and sign up today, open an account, move money from an existing 401k, whatever you got to do, and you're going to get $100 of Bitcoin when you fund your account. Go to itrust.capital slash lions to sign up today. We're paychecks. Yeah, because they get good pay to do and treat us. They yell at us, talk to us like dogs. You ask them and think, shut up. Curse it up. Shut the F up. Yes. And I, one day I got mad. I said, I'm not, don't talk to me like that. I'm grown and I'm a, and I'm a, a dog. Do not speak to me like that because I asked them that I, we were hungry and I don't know what was going on. And I'm like, we're hungry and I'm die and I'm have high blood pressure. I've developed, di became a diabetic in prison because of the food and stuff. And I'm like, I have to eat. And so I feel my head is hurting and stuff. Sit, the, shut up and sit the fuck down. Excuse my language. I'm like, don't talk to me like that. I'm a grown woman. I'm not. And he come and pushed me down and I stand back and he put, like he was ready to body slam me. The lady that I was saying to was like, no, no, Miss Joy, no, Miss Joy, sit, just sit down because they'll hurt you, sit down. Yeah, physically, they'll slam us, they'll, they'll do anything and they get away with it. You cannot do anything about it because you report it, it doesn't do anything, goes nowhere. So, so throughout your your uh, twelve years that that you were in prison, did did you get moved around quite a bit, or did you do most? Yes, of your time I got in, moved in around. No, I started out in Dublin. I did like eight years there, Dublin, California, mm -hmm. and then I was transported to because I used to write up the officers. I started going to the law library, mm -hmm. learning a little bit about the laws, putting certain things in to help myself. 
And I start finding out some of the officers were having sex with inmates, abusing them. We had a lot of that going on. And I start reporting it and writing up. So they did not like me. They transported me out of Dublin. And then when I got to Tallahassee, we had some abusive officer there. I was assaulted there sexually. I'm trying to find a lawyer right now to, um, to do my case because the gentleman was a, a male officer, slammed me up, twisted my iron rings, and rubbed his, his genital on me and said, I love to act like I run shit. I don't run nothing and all that. Yes, I, my hand was spraying and everything. It's reported to pre and everything, but it was being investigated. They called me like a year ago, SIS asking me again, taking my statement. But I still want to sue because the way it was done and the way that officer did me and that officer was having sex with inmates. And they knew because I went to the shoe reporting that officer. And because I reported, they said I tried to lie on the officer. There was no, but the lady that, the girl that he was messing with, she was scared of him. So she said nothing was going on. So I got put in the shoe and all of that. Come to find out all of that down the years happened. It came to light that it was true. I was not lying. And I was put in the shoes falsely for no, but because to shut me up. Mm -hmm. And then they moved me from there and sent me to Alabama. And I reported the, 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 the Priya case there also. And I reported it at Lovejoy because we had to stop at Lovejoy. Because what these people do, every place you stop, get paid. It's all money. Mm -hmm. So even if they could take you straight to your destination, they're not going to do that. They drop you off at this location, leave you for a week or so, let you spend money for commissary and everything, then pick you up in no time. Sometimes the commissary just spend a whole month by commissary and you got to leave everything because you don't get no announcement that you're leaving. You just call in the middle of the night to pack up, roll up your leaving. So we get a lot of that where they stop us at different locations, drop you off for a couple of nights, and then pick you back up. And every stop you make, the government pays for us to stop at these locations. So on the way to Alabama, we stopped at like two locations before we were to get on a bus to drive like six hours to go. We had to stop. So when I got to Aliceville, I stayed there. And then um, this other same thing, me and another inmate got into it. And they jumped me and I got beat up real bad. All my hair was pulled out and everything because they tried to say that. I, I tried to stay out of certain people where and this lady, she wanted me to help her with her case. But I didn't care for her too much because I see how she carried on inside the, the, the cells and how mm -hmm. she behaved. And she had a girlfriend and she started acting all different. I knew her from Tallahassee. This is somebody that I fed and helped. Because when she got there, she didn't have no money. She was on restriction, no clothing. I fed her for three weeks so she got off a of restriction, bought stuff for her and everything. But then when she got her girlfriend and started acting different and trying to bully and start acting like she was bad like that, I didn't care for that. So I stepped away 
from the friendship. She didn't like that. So we got into an argument. And one Sunday I'm in my cell, the officer on the phone gossiping. So when I repressed her, they ran up in there and beat me up. And if I was bloody, I couldn't even see out of one eye. It was cut. I pressed the thing the officer took at least. I had to find my way downstairs with people laughing at me, jeering me, her and her friends. Then they tried to come at me again. And I told the officer, she's supposed to secure me and lock me away. She had me out. She was scared. The girl came upon me again and tried to fight me again. Yes. So when that happened, they quickly put me in the isolation, dressed me, everything. Didn't give me a shot and hurry up and ship me off the compound within a week. Wow. And that should have been a lawsuit because the officer was at fault because she did not do her job and she was not listening to the, you have an alarm, you're pressing your room, the buzzer, she didn't even hear it because she was on the phone. So I could have well, been killed. All of these, uh, all of the, these incidents where, where, you know, an officer's written up and, you know, there, there's assaults against, uh, against inmates. And when you say they're investigated, they're just investigating themselves, right? I mean, it's not like there's any sort of third party yeah. coming in yeah. investigating. No. And, and they're not no. going to, I mean, the system's no. set up. No so they investigate themselves. People. Yeah. Exactly. And they drag it out. So there's a certain time. I can show you stacks of paper that I wrote up and report stuff. And nothing got done. Nothing. Nothing. They call me a troublemaker. I misknow it all. I think I'm a lawyer. I said, no, that's not the point. Or well, a lot of what you guys are doing are wrong. We're still human beings. They only call us by our number. They don't even want to know your name. The counselor might get your name and call you over the, when they need you in the office. But more than more, the first thing they ask you, what's your number? And my number was 8808808. All eights and zero. Wow. Yeah. So everywhere I went, they were like, what? It's a weird number. Is that? Yes, that's my number. Huh. My husband so had the same eights, except he had one extra zero than mine. Yeah. Huh. So let's let's talk about you getting out of prison. Um, you said you were originally sentenced wow. to the 18 years and you got out in 12. Um, and you had yeah, a reduction. Because, because I got of, time, uh, the two points reduction. Two points reduction. Can, can, can you just can you just yes. take us through those emotions, you know, that that occurred when you finally get out of prison? Okay, before I got out, I was told that um, I would be eligible for halfway out, but my counselor kept stalling, stalling, stalling every week. Don't worry, Miss Watson, I'm going to put it in. I'm going to put it in. So I have to be on her because that's another thing. If you don't get on them and you're for halfway out, they'll keep you there. And then end up sometime you only end up with I, I was eligible for one year. And I, I didn't get out till I only end up at nine months. The day when I was supposed to go, I still couldn't believe it. I couldn't sleep. At least two days before. I couldn't sleep. I still thought it was a it was not real. And when I dressed to leave and they called me up and stuff, when I got outside, they had a lift for me. And I, I walked 
and I stop and I look behind me and I'm like, is somebody coming to tell me I got to go back? It's a mistake. And I, and I stand there, I stood there for five minutes and no one came. And then the, the, the Uber driver, because he was an Uber driver, came out and said, um, I'm here to pick you up, to take you up to the top. Because my last stop was Azleton. They moved me to Azleton from Aliceville. And he's like, I got to take you up top. They say you get your, um, a card, a cash card. And, and I said, you're here for me? He said, yes, I'm here to take you up there. I said, are you one of the officers? He said, no. That's what I'm finding out about Uber driver. He said, I'm an Uber driver. I said, they called me for you. I said, okay. Did, did you and know? Then I got you in know the taxi. Did you know what an Uber driver was? I mean, it, it, I did not to the full extent. Yeah. No, not, not to the full extent. We see a little bit on the TV, on movies mm. and TVs that, yeah, look, but um, at the time, I, I couldn't believe. It. I said, "You're just here for me." He said, "Yes, mm -hmm. I'm here to take you to the airport." I said, "Are you sure, just me?" He said, "Yes. You just gotta go up top. I gotta take you up top, and then we're going to the airport." So when he took me up top and I got out of the car, I stopped and he said, "Yeah, go ahead in. I'm, I'll wait for you right here." I said, "You sure?" He said, "Yes," because it still was disbelieving. I still mm -hmm. thought that I was going to go back in. It was just like somebody playing a trick on me. So I went up, the, the machine was down. They couldn't give me the card, so they gave me cash of all my money that I had. I had like $500 on my book, got that. Went back out, and a guy was there, opened the door for me, and I sat in. He said, you need to stop anywhere? I said, no, I don't want to stop anywhere. I'm supposed to be going to the airport. And that's where I want to go. Don't take me nowhere else. You know, because I'm thinking, because they warn you until you got to get to the halfway house and else you're coming back. So I wasn't trying to mess that up at all. So he's like, you got time. And because he had all my flight information and everything, took me to the airport. When he dropped me off at the airport, now that was a funny joke. I said to him, so you're not coming in with me? He said, no, I don't have to. You go ahead. And you check yourself. You have all your things right there in that package. Right? So I said, are you sure? I, so I stand up outside on the sidewalk and I'm looking at all these people walking by me and everything. And I'm like, wow. I'm free? Am I really free? I'm seeing other people other than prison inmates and guard. And I mm -hmm. stood there for a good 10 minutes just taking in every sight, everything, the cars, everything the air just looking and i said thank you god thank wow. you because i never knew i would see live to see this day and i went into the airport everything was so different and i stopped here look there find the counter check in and i just kept walking so i stopped in every store in the airport i kid you not just looking at stuff touching stuff then I was hungry and I stopped at McDonald's and bought three um, chicken, strip and stuff. I was so hungry, I ate that off and so quick, I went back and bought three more. <laughs> and, and I was so stuffed because it's like, and then I said, oh my God, I forgot they tell you that when you come out and eat, if you eat, to, it sends you to the bathroom. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. And I'm like, I'm going on a plane, I can't go to the bathroom like that. You know, some people say they get diarrhea or they throw up because it's a different food that mm-hmm. I, you're used to. So your body kind of rejects it. So I'm like, oh, God, please don't let me get on these people playing and I have to go in the bathroom. That would be the worst. Anyway, on my flight, I had like an hour before it was time. So I walked, went in the bathroom, checked, nothing. I didn't have to come back out. And I walked and went to all the stores again and looked at stuff that I missed. Touched everything. I was just touching everything. The candy bars, uh, because it was so unreal, you know. So when I got on the plane and I'm looking at my seat, you know, I'm looking at the plane on the plane and I'm like, I'm on a plane again and it's not aircon. Wow. You know, and I sat there and this lovely lady was beside me and she was asking me, you know, how are you doing and stuff? Because as I said, it was December 23rd. It was mm-hmm. Christmas. Yeah, right so, Christmas, yeah. Um, yeah, she was going with her family and stuff to because I could connected in Chicago. Her and her daughter and her son-in-law, they were going to Chicago for family for the Christmas. And we talked all the way there. But I never told her that I was in prison. I'm just coming home. I just talk. Mm. I talk like I like I was still out 12 years before. And we had a good, great conversation. She even gave me her number and stuff. And um, and I forgot to tell you, I bought a phone in there in the airport. Oh, really? Cost me a good penny. But yes, I bought a phone because <laughs> I was like, I need a phone to call because I had to call my mom and them and let them know that I was out. They, they didn't know because you can mm-hmm. call and tell them, you know, you can tell them that you're supposed to be leaving, but you can't tell them the date or anything. We're not allowed to. I don't know what mm-hmm. they think you're going to do, but we're not allowed to. And um, so I bought one of those cheap prepaid phone. I spent like $150. Cause you know it's the airport. When I called my mom, I heard she started crying. Both start crying, and you know she said, "I'm going to tell your sisters." And then I, I told her, and I told her when I'm reaching in, and my sister was to pick me up at the airport when I land in California to take me to the Alfrey house. So when I got to the, my connection, it was delayed. So right away. I called the halfway house and I let them know because you have to tell them mm-hmm. that it's late. And if you're going to get in late, then that's not. So they said I was good and everything. And I sat in that, air, that other airport in Chicago and I just kept walking. I couldn't stop walking and touching stuff that I don't know. It was just weird. I just could not because like touching them, it made me believe that yes, I'm there. And when I got on my connecting flight and I got to LAX, I looked around and I'm like, wow, it's different from the last time I seen it. And because there's a lot of changes and stuff. I found my way in. When I got outside and stuff, I waited. My sister was there. And we hugged and I started crying. Her, my nephew was there. And then um, she took me to the halfway house, but I didn't have anything, any clothing or anything. So when I got in there and I explained to the officers and stuff that was there, the, my manager, case manager, 
they were kind enough to let me go to Walmart. There was a Walmart that opened till 11. And they told me I could go and pick some stuff up and come back. And I, to be honest, I went there, did not re realize while I'm shopping that I spent two hours in Walmart. And immediately I'm like, oh my God, I'm going back to jail. My sister was like, come on, girl, you stupid. Yeah, you I said, no, I'm going because I'm late. So I called him. I said, it was such long lines and everything. I'm sorry. Please don't send me back. Please. I I'm coming. I'm on my way. They're like, Miss Watson, you're okay. We know it's a Christmas run. We know you're okay. Just come on back. And I said, thank you. They were good. And um, I came back with bags and bags. They had to check everything out. Some things you can't have. Some things like the pillows have to be a certain pillow. But I'm like, oh, my God, here we go. Like, I'm in prison again. You can't wear, have this. It's too this. It has to be fire retardant. It has to, you have to know all these things that they don't tell you till you get there. But we worked it out. And for a couple of, I was on seven days. I couldn't go anywhere. I couldn't get a, a pass or hygiene pass or anything. And then after that, I could go apply for my license and my, um, hygiene or you know you can put in passes to go to look for um work because they want you to work because you got to pay at a halfway house or you go to school so i was on the ground within a couple of weeks trying to look for work i couldn't find anything that they would approve because most of the stuff were the nighttime and the hours and i just got there so they wouldn't let me work certain hours after be in the day. So it was just a mess. But it worked out that I started going to movie making school to make become a director, which was my dream. Mm -hmm. And then I was going for a good three, four months, and then COVID hit. Yeah. Yes. So we had to stop going to school. They didn't have the the things set up for internet or stuff to do classes online. So I had to drop out because the place was not set up for us to do classes, was not built like that. It's, they didn't have enough laptop. You weren't allowed your own. And even if you did, there's no internet service. Mm -hmm. So I couldn't do classes online. And I had to drop out. And um, it so happened, though, that I got a job at Amazon working at night because I was there long enough. And I started work. So I worked at Amazon until I left the halfway house and got my first apartment, which is this. Awesome. Oh, let me turn on the light. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yep. Yep. First TV, everything. That's it. That's yeah. awesome. <laughs> yeah. I still need living room, furniture, dining room, but I'm taking it a little bit at a time mm -hmm. because. This is a lot compared to what I had some years ago. That's, so, that's an amazing story. I mean, just to uh, just sit here and, and listen to everything that you've been through and to see where you are now. I mean, it's yeah. it's absolutely amazing. Um, just And a joke about it, too. I drive for Uber. I also drive for Uber now. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's amazing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah oh, I do. man. So just, just yeah. one more one more yeah. question, just a, a forward looking question. Yeah. 
So, you know, obviously we've talked about your past, everything you've been through. Looking ahead, you know, five years, 10 years, if you can kind of dream and, uh, and, and paint a vision out there, what do you see yourself doing? Where, where, where do you hope to be in, in five or 10 years? I'm going to put it at five because I'm very, I need to get there. I don't have that much time. Um, I want to write my, finish writing my book. I have a movie script. And I also have um, three inventions that I'm trying to patent, to get patent, that's needed now. And I also want to start back my event planning business because it's something that I love to do. And, you know, I'm good at it, put mm-hmm. it like that. I, I think, you know, I've got a lot of, I put a lot of things together that was worthwhile and a lot of people enjoyed it. And it's something, I want to be my own boss. Yeah. to be honest. So in five years, my book should be already out on shelves. My movie script should be in pre-production at least. And those patents should be already out there selling. I believe it'll happen, Joy. It's going to happen. I'm not going to stop. I'm not going to stop. Uh, before I let you go, is there any anything you want to plug Um I don't know, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, anything like that, or where people can contact you? You don't have to. No, I just want um, – no, what I would love for people to do, and one of the things that I do want to start to – I forgot to plug this um, – a nonprofit um, called um, – oh, gosh, come on, Joy, you know this. Being like uh, – I want to do things back for inmates – Mm-hmm. So I want it, but I, I'm still on probation, so I'm not really allowed to start it, where I run errands for prisoners. That's what I, I call it. Okay. Because while I was in there, there were certain things I needed done out here, and I didn't have no one. My family didn't understand. They were, they have their life. They're not going to take the time out to do certain things. You need certain things in the court, put in the court on a timely manner, because you know from at the prison, the snail mail, they don't get there on time or they get lost. So there's a lot of people back there that needs help, that mm-hmm. needs somebody just to reach out. Do you need anything? I want to be able to even take their kids to visit them if I can, buy them Christmas gifts and say, this is from mom, this is from dad. You know what I'm stuck? Like that, their mothers or grandmother, Mother's Day, they get a bunch of gifts from the person like they're out here still. So that's my nonprofit I do want to set up. But as I say, I'm still on paper and I'm not allowed to do anything with inmates at the time, at now. Mm. So hopefully I can get my um, probation um, end this year and I can get that started. But that's that's my dream. That's one of my main things that I need to get done. That's an awesome dream. Well, thank you, Joy. Thank you for coming on the show. And thank you so much for sharing your story. Thank you so much for having me, John. I really appreciate it. You have a great night. Bye-bye. Okay. Hey, I want to tell you about the Daniel 3 Biblical Anarchy Podcast with Jacob Winograd. It's an ongoing evaluation on how a Christian should view the state and human authority, as well as diving into the principles of libertarianism. On the podcast, he explores the entanglements between the church and the state in order to bring Christians and the church back to practicing the mantra of 
No King But Christ. Episodes about philosophy, anarchism, politics, economics, and of course, very interesting guests. Please check it out, the Daniel 3 Biblical Anarchy Podcast with Jacob Winograd. Hey, everybody. Thank you so much for listening to today's show. I hope you enjoyed it. I really got a lot out of it. Another incredible story. And I just want to ask the listeners out there, whether you're listening on the Lions of Liberty Network feed or if you're listening on the Finding Freedom solo feed, which uh, if you missed on the Finding Freedom solo feed, every Tuesday I am replaying. I am calling it the, the Finding Freedom Rewind. I'm playing a very popular interview from the archives um, every Tuesday. So far, I've played uh, an interview about how to pass a polygraph test, talking about how polygraphs are really frauds and and don't work, but there is a way to uh, game the system, if you will. And this week, uh, this past Tuesday, I replayed my episode uh, with Greg Hampikian, just an incredible episode talking about forensic DNA and how they use that to, to solve cases. He works for the Innocence Project, a great interview, so check that out. So the way that you listen to those is by subscribing um, to my Finding Freedom show solo feed. If you type in Finding Freedom, John Odermatt, um, it it should come up. If you search Apple Podcasts, most podcasting apps, definitely comes up on Spotify when you search that. If for some reason you can't find it, um, just hit me up on uh, on Twitter or shoot me an email, uh, john at lionsofliberty.com, and, and I'll send it to you because I need subscribers and I need reviews and uh, I need five-star ratings and reviews. So those are appreciated as well. And if you're listening on my solo feed, go subscribe to the Lions of Liberty Network feed so you get Mark's show and Brian's show as well on Monday and Wednesday. And with that being said, y'all, I thank you so much for listening to today's episode. I hope that Your year 2022 is off to a great start, and I hope that my podcast can provide the inspiration and motivation and the roadmap uh, to make 2022 the best year of your life. All right, that's all I got. This is John Odermatt signing off. Always remember to keep your head up and the fires of liberty burning.